series right now called, Did God Really Say? And we're looking at uh, some of the lies that we believe, some of the lies that we are living our lives by, and lies that have gotten into our relationship with God, lies that have gotten into the church, lies that have gotten into our relationships with one another. And, and we started on the first week talking about how our world uh, likes to make decisions based on feelings and feelings alone and not based on truth. But if we are going to be in God's kingdom, God's kingdom is built on truth, and so we cannot just make our decisions based on feelings. We need to make our decisions based on truth as well because God's truth is greater than our feelings. Our feelings are not greater than God's truth, and that is one of the big lies that our culture is telling us right now. And last week we looked at a lot of the lies about God, and, and they came down to two categories where it's lies of belief and lies of control. We really either don't believe God is who He says He is, or we want to control everything ourselves. We don't want to give God control. We want to be in control, and there were a whole bunch of lies that we listed about that. And what we needed to do at the end of that was believe what God says about Himself instead of what we feel or what we think. Well, today, we're going to look at some lies that we believed, and these are just skimming the surface. And my aim in this series is not to cover every single lie that we believe, because that would be an impossible task, but instead is to start giving us a framework to look for the lies that are in our lives and then expose them. That way we might be able to start to see some of the lies that we are believing in our day-in, day-out walk with God. Now, to get us started this morning, um, does anyone have a, uh, uh, let me just, I'll use Facebook because it's probably the most understandable. Anyone have a Facebook life and then a real life? Or is that just, just me? You know, it's like, I, you know, on Facebook, you know, I, I present myself as a certain way, right? But I never get on Facebook and say, yeah, I yelled at my kids today, right? I mean, Facebook is what I put where I put the pictures of, of us going to Mount Rainier and doing the, you know, the good parenting things. And then I never put the things on Facebook like, uh, my kids were doing nothing wrong, I was just in a bad mood, and I got mad at them because I was upset during the Buckeyes game. <laughs> so, um, you know, we never really put that stuff on Facebook, right? We, we, have, we have compartmentalized our lives to a great extent. And so, I don't know if, if you do this, but, you know, we kind of think of life this way, right? We have this circle, and for this circle, this circle just is my life, right? And, and within the circle of life, it's the circle. We have our uh, family, right? And we've got work. What else do we have? We have um, church. We have relationships. We have hobbies, 
chores. Chores are not the same thing as hobbies. Um, then we, we have things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, so on and so forth. That's a whole different world. Um, we, have, we have our thinking, right? Maybe I'm missing some. Anyone else think of any, any other parts of our life? You know, maybe these are the major categories. Am I missing anything? What? Friends? Yeah, friends. We can put that up there. Entertainment? Oh. I wasn't going to go there, Elaine, but now... Our, uh, let's call it recreation. We, uh, I, I say we live in a recreational culture in the Northwest. That's what we have as a recreational culture. But so this is, this is our life. The red circle represents our life. And then we have all of these little circles in, inside our life. And, and what ends up happening when we, when we view it this way we view our life as our life. This is, this is my life, and, and I get to live how I want. And then, and then we have all of these smaller circles, these sub-circles within the circle of our lives. And, and so then we end up deciding and determining how we're going to approach each and every circle, right? We, we decide, we determine what the rules are for work. And also, work determines what the rules are for work, right? And my coworkers determine how I work and how I act at work. Yeah. Naps. Um, but then, you know, there, there's the cultural pressure for how I work. And, and there's, you know, all of these different rules that end up being applied to work. Same thing is true for family, right? There's my idea of family. There's the world's idea of family. There's what all those crazy church people think about family. There's how my family really is, right? And there's, there ends up being all of this pressure and different sets of rules for all of these different areas. Same thing for church. There's, there's the cultural idea of church. There's God's idea of church. There is, you know, uh, <laughs> my idea of church. There's relationships. Oh, this we probably don't want to get too personal here, but you know, this is these this is how I think my relationship should go and what it should look like. This is how the other person in the relationship thinks it should go and what it should look like. And there's usually a divide here because they're not usually the same thing. And then there's the world's idea of what relationships are, what love looks like. And with every single one of these circles, we end up with all of these different rules that are put on from the outside, from the inside, from wherever, and it becomes this nearly impossible way to live your life. Right? Because, because this, we, we say this is my life, and so then it's my responsibility to go and figure out how each and every one of these things works. And not only is it my responsibility 
but it's my prerogative. You know, I get to decide. I get to decide the rules. I get to decide how everything works. And if something doesn't work like I'm wanting it to work, then it's up to me to decide how it's supposed to work. What we end up with is a very chaotic, crazy, impossible life that none of us can really do. No wonder we are stressed out. No wonder we're overwhelmed. No wonder we are worried. (laughs) No wonder our lives are like they are. Well, today I want to look at some lies we believe about others, about community, and about church specifically. But before we do that, I want to continue on in Colossians. We're in Colossians. We, we spent a lot of time, or some time, the last two weeks in Colossians 2, talking about how, how we need to live by a different set of rules, that we were set free from the rules of this world when Christ died for us and redeemed us, and that now we have a different set of rules that boils down to an, endi- an entirely different worldview. And Colossians 3 starts to expound on that a little bit, and I want to read some verses for us there. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So since we have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Our hearts, our desires, our affections should be on Christ and where Christ is not in this world. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, put on, wear compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together and perfect unity. And then verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're going to expound on that as we go through some of these lies. 
But as we see here, there are two different ways that we're supposed to look at the world. There's, there's the worldly way of looking at the world, and the world defines the world in all of these ways, right? This is, this is the fruit of the world, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. That is the result of the world. But then there's this entirely different way of looking at the world that we're supposed to be thinking of as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, where we as God's chosen people are supposed to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're supposed to bear with each other, forgive one another as we've been forgiven, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Two entirely different ways of seeing and looking at the world. One produces awful things. One produces something entirely different. Well, what are some of these lies? I want to just kind of do a surface skim over some of these lies because I don't have enough time to really dig into them. And again, we'll cover a lot of these more in the week ahead on Workplace and, and dig into them some more there since we don't have time to do that this morning. But I think there are some lies we believe in particular about relationships. This one isn't just a romantic idea, although it definitely plays out in that one, but the lie is that I, I have to find the right one. That I have to go and I have to find the right one. And when, when it's hard in my relationship with someone, if there's difficulty, if there's something challenging, if there's strife, then I must not have the right one. Right, so, so I, need to, I need to let go of this one and go find the right one. This is a lie that I think actually stems from an, a, a separate lie that says, everything should be easy. I shouldn't have to work for anything. Right, this is, this is kind of a lie that we believe in our world today, that everything should just be given to me when I want it, that I should just have it because I want it, and, and I deserve to win the lottery every single time I feel like I want to win the lottery. I shouldn't have to work hard for anything. Problem is, that's not how we were wired by God. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. All hard work brings a profit. This is something that I don't know that we understand, but work is actually a gift of God. Working hard at something is actually a gift of God, and approaching it like a gift actually draws us closer to God. Genesis chapter 2, 15, this is before Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God. This is before they decided to go their own way. They were walking in relationship with God, and this is what the world looked like. And this is how God designed Adam and Eve to function, men and women to function in the world he made. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We have this false idea that, that, that you know, heaven is going to be where we don't have to work anymore, that, that we don't have to work. We, you know, we get to a certain point in our lives and we just don't have to work because, you know, we worked hard for all of our lives, so at some point in time, I should be able to just, you know, rest and relax. 
But God designed us to work. It is only after the fall that work became difficult and toilsome. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19, if you want to go look that up. But after Adam and Eve sinned, work became difficult, and it's by the sweat of our brow and the thorns of the ground that we're going to have to work and struggle. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean we're not supposed to do it. We're supposed to still work because work is good. And when we work as though work is a gift from God, it draws us closer to God. So just because something takes work doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, if it takes work, it's probably a better thing than something that doesn't take work. So if we take that truth then and apply it to our relationships, then we understand that, that it's not about finding the right one, that, I, that there's some right one out there, but instead I need to become the right one. And that compatibility is not found, it's forged. That's not my statement, it's from another pastor, but compatibility is not found, it's forged. This is not just true of you know, husband-wife relationships or romantic relationships, but it's true also with friendships and within the church. That, that compatibility friendships are forged. It's not like we just all of a sudden find the perfect friend, but we become the perfect friend. We work hard to develop good relationships. So a gut check, a question. Am I looking for the right one or am I being the right one? Not just in romantic relationships, but all relationships. Am I looking for the perfect friend or am I being the perfect friend? Am I, am I looking for someone to serve me or am I serving the friends in my life? So there's one lie. I have to find the right one. The second lie about relationships that I think we believe is that everything would be better off if everyone did things my way. Everyone would be better off if everyone did things my way. I myself am very guilty of believing this lie. Well, if you just thought like me, if you just acted like me, if you just did what I did, then everything would be perfect. We wouldn't have all of these problems in the world. My way is the right way. Your way is the wrong way. If everyone in the entire planet would just do what I thought was right, then we would be good. I don't know if anyone else has had those same thoughts, but I have had those thoughts quite often. I apologize. But this is a lie that we believe, right? Everyone would be better off if they just did things my way. I know what's best in all situations, so you should just ask. I know, I know how you should respond and react in every situation, and if you just did it my way, you'd be good. But this is a lie. The truth is that I am not perfect. I am not God. I do not know everything. I do not have all of the plans for all of creation. I do not have any of that at my disposal. I am not yet perfect. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul is speaking, and he says, Not that I've already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
I have not already obtained perfection. I have not already attained the status of arrival, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. He says, brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. This is from our Philippians study, and this really stood out to me as we were going through it. He says here, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He's saying, if any of us who are mature in the faith, if any of us who are mature in the community of God think this way, or don't think this way, then God will reveal to us that we're wrong. And this verse here, verse 16, is crucial. It's critical. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Bless you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained, to that which we have attained. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life that there are a lot of things that I know that I don't live, that there are a lot of things that I know about, that I know I should be doing, but I'm not yet doing, that there's, that there's a lot of, of information in my mind, in my head, but what I need is more application. I need more living it out in my life. And so my job as a follower of Jesus Christ is not to think that I have arrived, that I am perfect. That I, that I have a responsibility to be above and ahead of others so I can critique and condemn them, but instead my responsibility is to live up to what I've already attained, what Christ has already done in me. Right? This is, not a, this is not a statement of status. In God's eyes, we are perfect. In God's eyes, He sees us as perfectly washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are perfectly righteous because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we are not yet across the finish line. So I think we need to put that idea to death that everyone just needs to do what I think they should do. Here's a gut check for you. If you're annoyed by everyone in life, you probably annoy everyone in your life, and you're probably the problem. You can laugh a little bit. That's okay. You don't need to be so serious. Chances are we're annoying somebody in the way we're living our lives. We're not living it perfectly. Everyone feeling good about themselves? I want to remind you why I'm sharing this with us. It's because my goal, my desire as your pastor is to help us all grow up in Christ, right? 
that, that I want us to grow in our relationship with God and to look more like Jesus Christ, which was in that Colossians passage, to be, to be shaped into the image of Christ. And, and when there are things that are keeping us from, from that, then I want to do my best to point us towards the truth and away from the lies. And these are some of the lies that I think I see in our community, in our world. But when we're, while we're talking about community, let's move away from just the idea of relationships. Let's look specifically at the idea of community. Community. Community in God's body. Community in the church of Christ. Community as, as God's chosen ones. We live, in a, we live in a world where we think that we, you know, we're, we, are, we can fly solo. We can do things all on our own in our own strength. But that's just simply not true. And we also think this lie, my actions and decisions only affect me. My actions and decisions only affect me. I can, I can choose to do what I want, and I can decide whatever I want, and it doesn't matter if I'm in the body of Christ, you know, because I still, it's still my life, and I get to decide how I live my life, and that only affects me. But that's not true. That is not a truth. Your actions and decisions actually affect everybody in the body of Christ. What I do and don't do affects the entire body. That is the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, this is where Paul is talking about us, the body of Christ, and he's using the illustration of our physical bodies. He says, Just as a body, though it's one body, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many." So you here and the 6-8 family and the 6-8 body of Christ, where, we're, where we are growing together as the body of Christ, you are not an island. You are not by yourself. You are a part of the body. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 24, the second half says, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What I do and don't do affects the entire body. If, I, if I'm choosing to, to try to go it on my own and do it in my own strength and my own power, that affects the body. If I, if I think that, that I am smarter or no more than the rest of the body, that I have arrived at a status that the others haven't arrived at, that affects the body. What I do and don't do affects the entire body. So our actions and our decisions affect one another. We are not islands. We are not in this on our own. That's a good thing. In fact, it's a great thing. So that's a lie. My actions and decisions only affect me. Another lie is that uh, we think community with other believers is optional. 
Community with other believers is optional. I can do it when it feels good. I can do it when it fits within my schedule. I can do it when the other circles within my circle aren't crowding it out. But the truth is, because I have been so loved, I will so love. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That is the byproduct of being in Christ. That is what happens when you're in Christ. We have fellowship with one another. It just is the way things are. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so I have a question. Who are you loving like Jesus loved you? As I was wrestling through this this week, I had this question come up, and I said, why does the, this is my question that I was wrestling with, why does the New Testament not talk about needing to be in community? I mean, if we, if we really wrestle with this, if we think this is so important, why does there not seem to be a whole lot of talk about the need to be in community? There's not a whole lot of Scripture that says you need to be in community with one another. The New Testament deals with a lot of issues that arose within the community of the early church, but it's not talking about why you need to do it. There there were a lot of things that came up that the apostles had to address when they sent out these letters to the church and things that were affecting the community, but not a whole lot that says you need to be in community. We have a verse here and there, like in Hebrews chapter 10, where we're not supposed to forsake meeting together with one another. But there isn't a great deal that says that talks about why we need to be in community. And the, the answer I came to, and if I'm wrong, you can feel free to talk to me after the service, is that it seems to me that community, that relationship, that this life-on-life, life, interconnected relational community that, that, that we are longing for was just an assumption. That it, was, that it was just the way it worked out, that once you were in Christ, you realized, I am in this new world, in this new family, in this new body, and I cannot imagine not being in this community. That it was just, it was just what we did, and of course there were other circumstantial things that took place. They, they couldn't be involved in the other communities around them. They They were excluded from those communities for one reason or another, so they had to rely on one another. But it seems today that we're living by this lie that community with other believers is optional. I can do it when it fits in my schedule. I can do it when it's convenient. But the truth is, because I have been so loved, I will so love. If I have really received this love of Jesus Christ, that he poured out himself for me and he sacrificed himself for me at this level, then I will do this. If I have not really received it, then maybe I'm not doing that. And that is where we need to go back and and do some digging. But if I have been so loved, I will so loved and so love. And if I love one another the way Christ has loved me, I will be in community.
So I think that's a lie that we wrestle with. Another lie, last lie about community is that I, uh, I don't need anyone's help. I can do this on my own. I'm good. I don't, I don't need anyone to help me out. I, can, I am strong enough, and what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And so every time I don't die from something, I get stronger, and I don't need anyone else's help. But that's not true either. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, the greatest sin that I can see in all of Scripture, and we've talked about this many times because for us a huge, a huge emphasis as a church is walking humbly. We, we want to walk humbly with our God. And saying, I don't need anyone's help is kind of the opposite of that, right? It's walking in pride. It's walking in confidence that I can do this on my own. But the truth is, we were built to live in community, family, connection with one another, and we are not strong enough on our own. We are strong when we're connected. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. And as we bear one another's burdens, as everyone chips in to bear one another's burdens, by the way, everyone also has to, to carry their own load, is what he says in a few verses after that, that we don't get off of the hook, that we just dump all of our burdens on others, but we also have a responsibility to carry burdens ourselves. But the Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And... Pride is the sin that we're all guilty of. It's telling God that we don't need Him, that we can do this on our own. A couple more lies, and we're going to wrap up here. A couple quick lies about the church. We've talked quite a bit about the church recently, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Uh, but I think there are some lies that affect us um, that I need to present myself in a specific way on Sundays. I need to put on a show on Sundays. I need to put up a facade on Sundays. It's better not to be real and to show who I really am. That's a lie. I think a lot of us suffer from this one in our world that we think church is where I go to get fed and served. And that if I'm not getting fed at church on a Sunday, well, then I'm going to go and find a church that feeds me. But that's not really how it's supposed to work. And this last one is that we think church is where other people use their gifts. I don't have anything to offer. Church is where all the other really talented people use their gifts, and I benefit from it. I don't really have anything to offer, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we just were, says, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, to everyone, every single one of us, have been given the Spirit for the common good, for the good of everyone in the body, everyone in the family. That means you have something to offer that God has given you by His Spirit for the good of the body. And he expounds on that. He says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Church isn't where we show up to be served and to get fed. Church is where we show up to serve and to feed. It is a lie that you think that only the person on the stage can speak and feed. We are all joined and connected and unified by the same Spirit, and if we are unified by the same Spirit, then that same Spirit has a desire to work through you in the lives of someone else every single time we're gathered together with other believers. And our role is is not to wait for someone else who's more qualified to address the problem, but to let God work through us and do things through us that we can't take credit for ourselves. God wants you to use your gifts here, and he gave them to you to use among the body. So I think what we need is a a different way of looking at things. We need a different circle. Because this circle is a lie. The way we see the world through this lens is not correct. Instead, we need to see it all as God's circle. It's all, it's all one circle, and then, and then God gives us ways and truth to deal with all these different sections of it, right? All these pieces of the pie, so to speak. That when we're, when we're working in cooperation with the Spirit, and I'm running out of space here, then, then God has a design and a plan for all of this where all of, all of these things fit in the circle, but they're defined by God. All of these things work in the circle, but, but they're defined by God. And, and the problem is, with this circle, we start with me. The starting point is myself, right? The starting point is what I think and what I want and what I desire. And this circle then becomes the focus. And instead of what we're supposed to do here, we, we just look at the circle. Hopefully this makes sense. But what God, I think, designs and plans for us is instead of focusing on the circle, we look through God on the circle. So, so we look at, at God's point of view, we look at God's truth, we look at God's understanding, and then all of these other things suddenly start to come into focus, right? My entire life comes into focus in God's circle. My work comes into focus. It makes more sense when I understand it from God's point of view. Church comes into focus. And instead of seeing church 
as this thing where I do once a week on Sundays. It's actually an expression of this whole circle, and work is an expression of this whole circle, and life is an expression of this whole circle. Everything comes out of the circle because I'm not focused just on the circle. I'm focused on God, and God is defining the things in the circle. Does that make sense? Is that clear as mud? I'll explain it better sometime this week, I'm sure. But um, the point is the focus, right? The point is who are we focusing on? Are we focusing on all of the little things and all of the rules that apply to all the little things? Are we focusing on God and our relationship with God and the community of God and letting that bring definition and clarity to everything else? It's all God's. Everything in the circle is God's. He makes the rules. And when He makes the rules, then everything fits together and works together according to His plan. When He makes the rules... Everything fits together and works together according to his plan. When I'm making the rules or when we let the world make the rules, everything is chaotic. But when we are living according to God's design and God's rules, everything makes sense. And we start to understand that that this life that God has given us as a gift isn't even about us at all, but that he's given it as an opportunity for us to serve him. And the primary way that we serve him is by serving others. That because I have been so loved, I will so love. Because God has loved me so much by sending his son to die on the cross for me, I will in the same manner love others around me. This is what all of life is, and this is what, what I'm working to lead us to, is that, is that we can love God and love others like he has loved us. And this is our opportunity, I think, to, to maybe get, to get off the bench and to get in the game, that, that all of life is actually service to God and that he's given all of us then the role of full-time ministry. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and this is where we're going to close. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, plural, you all, not you individually, but but you all, all of you, this is Peter writing this letter to a church, and he's saying you all, all of you, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That means that there is no need for a priest, like a lot of people still think, but that Jesus is the great high priest and that we are his priesthood and we all have a ministry. We all have, we all have a role. We all have a responsibility. We all have something God has designed us for, and it is not the responsibility of those who are paid to be in ministry to do the work of ministry, but instead we need to see all of our lives, our entire life, as a ministry God has given to us to love like we've been loved. Because we were chosen out of that. We were called out of that old way, that old life, that old faulty way of thinking 
for a higher purpose, for a higher calling. So instead of living one life with many circles, I live for God who made the circle. Instead of living one life with many circles, I live for God who made the circle. I'm going to ask if you will stand. We're going to close things up. I just want to pray for us through some of these lies and so I ask if you will bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands or come forward or anything this morning. I just I want to pray through these and if you've been wrestling or struggling with some of them, I want to pray for you. Father, if there are any of us here this morning who have been wrestling with the lie that, that relationships don't require anything of me, that I can do whatever I want and that it's the responsibility of everyone else in the relationship to meet my needs and to care for me, Father, I pray right now that you would shine your marvelous light onto the darkness of that lie, that you would illuminate those places in our hearts and our minds and our lives and our souls, our spirits, where we have made all relationships about us in one way or another and, and help us to see how you want us to love others through those relationships. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that if there's any of us who have suffered from the, the pride of thinking that we know all the right answers and all the right way of doing things, that that we have condemned all of those around us for not living up to our own standards. I pray, Father, that you would shine your marvelous light onto the darkness of that lie. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk humbly with you, that our focus would not be on the shortcomings of others around us, but that our focus would be on knowing you more and loving others like we've been loved. Heavenly Father, if we are believing some of these lies about community, that we think we can do it on our own, we can go it on our own, we don't need anyone's help, I pray, Father, that you would shine your marvelous light on the darkness of that lie. Father, help us to see that we were designed and created for community, that you designed us to be in relationship with one another, and that, that your, your primary way of sharpening us and, and changing us and growing us up in you is through community and specifically in loving one another, and that as we love one another, you reshape the desires of our hearts. Father, I pray if we believed in these lies about church, that we don't have anything to offer, that we are, that we are just bystanders, that, that we are worthless because you haven't gifted us, I pray, Father, that you would really shine brightly the light of your marvelous light onto that lie. And I pray, Father, in this moment, from this moment forward, that you would just start to shine in our hearts and our minds and our lives on those areas where you've given us gifts and strengths, 
that you start to show us and reveal to us what those strengths might be, what you have built us to do, what you've wired us to do. But Father, more than just a personal, private seeking of looking for those gifts, I pray, Father, through our community, through our body, through our family here, that you would use us together to point out the strengths and gifts of one another, to affirm what we see you doing in the lives of one another, and that you would use each of us to help one another see what they offer to this family, to this body. And I pray, Father, for all of us, that you would help us all to see how you want us to see, that we would see that this is your life, that this is your world, this is your universe, this is your creation, this is your truth. Everything is built on you and that you have a plan and a design for us and for it all. And I pray, Father, that instead of getting narrowly focused on these little microcosms of our life, that you would help us to see you and to focus on you and to turn to you and to look for you in all of life, and that we would then begin to look at all of our lives through the lens of our relationship with you, through the lens of, of who you made us to be, through the lens of, of the community that you placed us in, through the lens of the love that you have loved us with, and that, Father, we would stop looking at it from our own isolated and selfish perspectives, but that we would be set free from those lies, and that you would bring us then into the knowledge of the truth, that we would be able to see all of life, every area, every aspect of life from your plan, from your desire. And I pray, Father, for this body. I pray, Father, that you would just grow us up in this love, that you would, as, as Paul has said, that you would unite us all in love, that as we clothe ourselves with compassion, as we clothe ourselves with kindness and humility, as we clothe ourselves with gentleness and patience, that you would bind all of that clothing, all of that together with love, an unconditional love that binds us together in perfect unity, Father, that, that we would have this undying, self-sacrificing love for one another where we're willing to lay down our own desires for the good of the body, for the good of those we're in relationship with, for the good of those that you have brought into our lives, knowing that when we lay our lives down, put them in your hands that you'll make something much greater with it than we could ever make on our own. We trust you with our lives in Jesus' name.